Today I spoke with Carlton from Brunton Media, a returning guest, and we broke down some of the strategies of Marks and Spencers and what we think the current problems are with Netflix. I hope you enjoy the episode. One, good morning, and we finally shut up long enough to do an introduction and start a podcast. How are you doing, Carl? I'm very well. I'm very well. How are you? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. Just to give people some insight, it's now 10 to 11. We were due to start at 10, and we were both running late and then started talking anyway when we finally did get together. So, which, you know, that, that, that's just the way we are. So, this podcast has actually come about due to a conversation that you and I are having, which covered Marks and Spencers and Netflix and the recent Sky campaigns. And just to give people some insight to where this conversation was going, we were talking about one of the things that, particularly in Salisbury, the Marks and Spencers food hall does really well, is most people, when they go to buy their lunch, particularly, and there's a psychology behind this, is... They only have an hour, so they're kind of deficient in time. They're in a hurry. And to get to the food hall, you have to go through the shop. And last-minute gifts, buying things, anything like that, the psychology behind attracting people's attention when they're actually going there for another reason. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, you know, I think I think let's first start by uh, understanding for your audience, those who don't know, marketing is just about attracting attention towards what you want someone to be attracted to, right? Yeah. I want I want people to care more about video. Okay, I'm in com- on competition with you and everyone else to to get them to understand why video is a good idea, right? So I need their attention. Great, cool. So now we've established that marketing is just attention. What why does Marks and Spencer's put the food hall slap bang in the middle of the shop? And no matter how you enter the store. We use Salisbury as an example, but I imagine it's very similar across every other store and being to Bath and London and other such places. Yeah. Um, it is the same. Why is the food hall slap bang in the middle? It's this concept known as basically you're going to have to walk through that store to get to the food hall, right? So you go in, you're hungry, right? You want lunch. Great. Cool. And now you're going to have to walk past those pair of jeans or walk past that gift basket or those Easter eggs or that Christmas hamper or that card rack or that bottle of XYZ wine, champagne, etc., etc. Right. And what ends up happening is your mind will go, oh, that looks good. Oh, that looks fun. Oh, I actually needed a pair of those. And in most cases, when you're aware of this, right, you can kind of trick your brain into not doing this. But if you don't, you'll naturally do the same thing and you'll go, oh, I need that. So you'll pick it up and then you'll just continue, you know, maybe go through, buy the food you need to buy. And then you do the same on the way out. And what will end up happening is you'll end up actually probably purchasing one or two of those items that you either saw, thought about, or actually picked up. If you picked it out, like if you actually take it off the rack, there's probably about an 85% chance we're going to buy it, right? Because we're conditioned to basically say, once I have it physically, then I I need to, I need to buy it. I need to, it's it's, it's technically mine at that point, but that's why they put them in the way directly in the way, because human beings as a concept, we look for our peripheral vision 
quite a lot of the time. You know, I don't know the figures, but I imagine it's probably close to 60-40 in respect to, you know, especially when you're doing something monotonous, like, I've got to go get lunch now. So you're going to have that sort of daydream-like state because you're in a routine, right? And what ends up happening is you're then, in theory, I would imagine, you end up looking into your peripheral a lot more, right? Which would mean you're going to look at those genes, you're going to look at those tops, which is amazing for Salisbury, because, or sorts of male suspenses if you're a guy, because nothing related to guys in most cases is downstairs. Yeah, it's upstairs. Te- like, tip, if you want to, uh, if, if Mark Suspenses managers seem to be seem to be watching this episode, um, crazier things have happened. Um, if you want to attract men, put some stuff downstairs that men would actually buy. Um, not against men buying skirts, of course, but, um, you know, they're, I think they're less likely to be bought by guys. But that also says something about their target market, right? Marks and Spencers as a concept, in most cases, says a man marrying mostly Marks and Spencers, isn't necessarily targeting male clothes, male male target audience. Though, with that being said, hence probably why they do it that way around, because they, they to an extent, understand in a household that the female probably has more buying power in this context because they're more likely to do the food job. Yeah. And but it was interesting as well because when we originally got into this conversation, we, I was also talking about how, I don't know how long ago it was, but there was a big shift in the motorway service stations, and petrol mm. stations, and those Marks and Spencers food halls started moving into them, and those little lunch deals, lunch pack- packages they do, and this is and the reason this is quite significant is because the big players like your Tesco's, your Sainsbury's, who've always had little mini supermarkets, little convenience stores. <clears throat> you don't find them in the motorway service stations, but you do find a lot of Marks and Spencers in there. And again, they have bought into this concept of people are in a hurry. There's an urgency, you know, because typically if you're on a long drive and you're stopping at one of these places, you need some form of refreshment, and some form of relief, i.e. the toilet. <clears throat> and they have these little food halls where, you know, there's meal deals, package deals, and all of that, as well as, you know, other things that are convenient um, for when you're driving. And they've really tapped into very successfully that idea of just five-minute shopping, seven-minute mm-hmm. shopping, you know, quick turnover, rapid, everything you need in an instant but nothing that you would need significantly. You know, you don't go you don't go to one of those little shops to buy ingredients for a dinner you're trying to make that evening. Mm. But it, it's quickly running, grab, pay, and go. That's actually not yeah, a bad that's a bad uh, grab, pay and go. That's a nice tagline. Yeah, you know, I think I think it's one of those things is you know, it's why chewing gums on, on the mm. edge of checkout tails, it's why it's why chocolate's place where it's placed. You're looking at impulse buying here. A lot of it is impulse buying, right? Mm. It's, oh, that looks good. I'm going to buy that, right? Yeah. And the, the, the thing is, and the, and the point that why one should educate themselves on is the fact that this exists, right? It's the same is true as, you know, why does every supermarket in the world spread milk, cheese, and bread to each yeah. end, opposite ends of the store? They could put them all next to each other and make it very easy for everyone to just come in, buy what they want, and then leave. That's right? a good point. The problem is the store doesn't want you to do that. You want to do that. But what the store want you to do is they want you to go as far away from each other as possible so you can walk past very conveniently placed 
impulse buys, e.g. packets of crisps on a sale, e.g. canned drinks, big bottles of drink, um, promotional gifts, chewing gum, chocolate, <coughs> etc. Things like that. I am just literally trying to... Vi- well, not trying. I am visualising every supermarket in the area that I use, including the ones that I use for work. And all of them, as you walk through that front door, the opposite corner is where the bakery is. There's no exception to that. And I'm talking Morrison's, Sainsbury's and Tesco's. They all, if you walk through the front door, the furthest corner away is where the bakery is. So if you want bread, fresh bread, anything like rolls, any of that, Danish pastries, Mm. whatever... Yep. The only exception to that, actually, is Lidl's in Lidl's in Amesbury. Not there's an Audi and a Lidl's, but the the Lidl's is an exception mm. to that because the, one of the first things you walk past is the fresh fruit and then the bakery. However, you've then Lidl's do things very differently, but you know. But then to get to the tills. You've got to actually, it's they're blocked off, so you have to walk around some aisles to get to the tills. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's the uh, and the same is true. And I'll give you just another quick example in the co-op, right? It's not always oh the bakery's going to necessarily not be right at the door, right? Because if you go into any small convenience store co-op, the the bakery items are in most cases right next to the door. But what's furthest away from you? The alcohol, right? Yep. Now in most cases, <clears throat> why do people go into convenience stores? They go to buy packs of cider, beer, etc. Mm. As somebody who doesn't drink, this isn't going to be appealing to me. However, most consumers are there to buy that product. Therefore, the the planning out of the store is asked, okay, well, what is the average person likely to come here to buy? Is it milk and cheese? Is it bakery? Or is it alcohol? Whatever that needed thing, whatever that, that concept of that, what they decide is those products, they'll deliberately put, as we say, further furthest away one of the things I so you have to trope round and, and, and see other things and then have those yeah. impulse buys and go oh that looks cool oh, that looks good oh that looks good because one of the things i've just noticed when i think about that the local co-op co-ops where i am they fit into one or two things and i'm thinking specifically about where the milk is which is why lots of people use those places um the milk might not necessarily be the furthest part away from the shop but by the time you've got to the milk the furthest part of the shop is the till. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you've got to walk all the way through the shop to get to the tills because the tills in convenience stores are rarely right next to the doors. Yeah. And the the, the thing is that, that what a lot of people who maybe not in marketing or not in sales or not in this level of strategic thinking won't necessarily think about, maybe, maybe this conversation has opened their eyes a bit, is that every single thing is placed in a very specific place or a very specific place, yeah. right? Milk is placed exactly further away from the till for that same reason, right? You have an opposite effect, right? So you want to get your customer, your ideal client, whoever it is, your person, to walk as far away from where they actually need to go as possible. So they walk back and they have more chance, because it's just a probability game at that point, they have more chance walking past other products that they might go stop and go, ooh, that seems like a good idea. As I say, I mean, I know I know you wanted to briefly touch on, like, why was uh, other department stores like M&S not as successful right 
Because initially when this conversation did start, that was another conversation. Um, yeah, because Woolworths was one of the ones that I made a point of. Um, yeah. Because Woolworths, they somehow... Yeah, at one point, you didn't like... And I know we're talking about when I was a child and a teenager and things like that. And, and obviously online shopping wasn't any mm. different. But in terms of what you could buy from Woolworths, it was no—it's no different than any of the shops are out there today. You know, like your pound, your pound shops. Um, oh, I've just had a thing saying that this meeting's going to run out of time for some reason. So we might actually have get cut off and have to start the podcast again. According to this, we have. Why do I only have nine minutes? Nine, of, not nine minutes and forty seconds. Yeah. So uh, anyway, so yeah, in about eight minutes, we'll just ask to send you another link and we'll do it again. Um, and it'll be welcome back, back to the podcast. So anyway, the, yeah, so you have all of these shops today that sell like uh, 101 different things. And that's basically what Woolworths was famous for. It sold bits mm -hmm. of everything. But some, you know, it, it, it was a high street Amazon in a way or a high street eBay. So it's like, why, how did that not pivot? You know, the, what did it... I mean, the, 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 the simple reason, and, you know, you could use the same analogy or the same concept with Debenhams as well, mm. is this, this concept of seeing where, where trends or where the customers are going, right? What are they doing? Right, this is something that we look for. We, we look at for clients all the time. It's like, okay, what are your clients or what are your customers doing right now? Where's their retention right now? What are their buying habits right now? Where are they going? What are they doing? How are they spending their money? You know, in the pandemic, we saw a huge shift by by just they had to to online. Now the problem was most people bought stuff online and still do buy things online. So probably eighty five percent of people who would have gone in and had a shop or would have gone shopping. Now don't go shopping no. because they've built habits to go, I'm going to go on such and such to buy the stuff I would have gone shopping for, right? Now, the thing is, what ends up happening with, with Woolworths, I, I was unfortunately or, or fortunately too young to well vaguely remember when it was existence and it kind of, you know, then transitioned away. Um, it also reminds me of Safeway as well, to an extent, uh, yeah. for those who, who remember Safeway, right, before it got bought up by Morrison's. But the, the, the cruxes are all the same, right? They they were very stubborn. But I, well, I can't talk in Safeway's case because I wasn't around, but from what I've seen with Debenhams and other such uh, services and other such businesses, they were too stubborn to be like, yeah, online is a kind of fad. Online isn't really where we should be putting our energy and our time, even if it's for a marketing concept to get people to come in, right? Because... The, the thing is, like, yes, do people still go and shop? Yes, people still do. Is it a gr large amount difference and a large reduced amount? Yeah, of course it is. You know, it's actually arguably a better way to do business in some cases because you suddenly don't have this concept of, right, I've got to pay rent, I've got to pay business rates, I've got to pay staff, I've got to pay this. Of course, there's other costs that go along with doing it online, but those costs are in correspondence not necessarily the same right because you can get a warehouse on the on, on an industrial estate which is probably about either double the size for the same money or half the size for the same money or less yeah. money right and 
then you've got yeah you've got the business rents on that but you can scale it up a lot more because you're not having to worry about sales stuff you're just worrying about distribution fulfillment and then actually getting it out to deliver to customers but then you have to have better systems in place from an e-commerce point of view to do the sales for you and or push more marketing because you don't have that passive footfall that you would have of someone shopping of going oh let's go into tk maxx debenhams master spencers blah 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 blah, wherever to have a look around oh what are you looking for today not much i'm just here to have a look around Uh, let me ask the audience how many times have you walked into a convenience store or a supermarket or a clothing store just to have a look around, right? It's just people just don't do it anymore, do they? You used to. Back when I was, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 100% all the time. Yeah. How many people do it, don't do it now? I can't think of now the last there's been this concept of Now there's been this, like, whenever I go to some people, whenever I go anywhere, I might get COVID. Yeah. Whenever I go anywhere, I might have this or have that, or it's out of my way, or it's inconvenient, or I'm not going into town anyway because my food shop's just been delivered to my house. Yeah. It's it's the, this is the thing, isn't it? Is is we and th- and this market's changing. It's <clears throat> like I said because you you get and and this is the thing that's I think moving forward is going to be hard to know who's going to do well in this because people like the Marks and Spencer's food hall, which they, the psychology is you're in a hurry. You've got to get somewhere and we're going to make you walk through the shop. Right. Mm. Um, and obviously there's a quality of product to the mark, uh, the Marks and Spencer's food hall. They've also put them in places where people stop because they, they need some form of refreshment or relief. Right, and they want to stretch their legs. They kind of want to browse, but they're also browsing within a time frame of say thirty minutes, just just like a lunchtime. So those people have already done it well. They've already done the pivot. So it's you see them surviving, and you see how they're pivoting and how they're doing well. I mean, Marks and Spencer's in terms of clothing, I think, is still struggling. It's never kind of um i have my own theories on that but and i think part of that is they they're up against um a generation of people that just want cheap disposable clothes and you can't market against that so you can only market the quality that you but then you have to back it up Mm. you can't have clothes that Mm, we're going to try and make them more affordable and break the quality. You know, you've got to make them top quality and keep them top quality and kind of define your, and, instead of getting your brand to try and fit in to, um, to appear like a, a cheaper market. I think you've got to make your brand stand out as a better market. I mean, yeah. I mean, we, we talk about this all the time. It's about understanding who your avatar is, right? Like yeah. your avatar is going to change as your business grows, right? Like, and, and for those who don't know what avatar is, it's the person who you are likely to sell to, right? Yeah. So, you know, in Martin Spencer's case, as you, you were articulating, they're perhaps at the beginning were like, we need to sell huge amounts of volume and we're basically not selling very high quality clothes. Okay, fine. But then the that market got really competitive, etc. And there's a lot of moral questions around how those 
businesses operate and so on, which we can either get into or not, it's up to you. But, you know, from a simple business point of view, business, you know, what Master Spencer did really well is pivot. They went, actually, we can't compete and we don't want to compete in this market. We're going to go to slightly higher end, which hmm. means the, the average price on, a, on per shirt, per, per waistcoat, per whatever, is going to be higher, but the quality well, of that piece is going to be more expected well, because we're targeting a different audience. Well, I think what, because originally, like, especially when I was growing up, what Marks and Spencer was famous for was its quality. It was mm -hmm. a quality. But they seemed to shift into an area where they were trying to make, um, they, they seemed to lose their brand recognition and were trying to almost in terms of look, compete in different areas where I would argue they didn't belong. And actually, you're not focusing on this shift. Um, well, again, they didn't. They didn't create a niche or create their product or create mm. a thing they're really, really known for, and then double down, double down, double down, double down. So they didn't become yeah. the best in in that thing. They simply became that thing plus all these other things. So then you actually sell nothing. You're actually not very good at anything because yeah. you're trying to sell everything, right? So you know, in Crocs, it's like actually. They should have just carried on double downing. Okay, if they have to increase price, okay, fine. Then increase price. You're going to lose a percentage of your audience, whatever you do. So make the decisions and double down on what you feel is going to work best for the business. Clearly, their decision to go into food worked very well for them. One. And there we are. We're back after a little short break of trying to sort out Zoom. Um, yeah, and yeah, and but interestingly, because we've talked a lot about Marks and Spencers. Um, but you also recently in Salisbury as well. We had that the Sky promotion, didn't we? Which was a which was an interesting eyesore, but um, interesting, and nonetheless, um, you know, from a marketing point of view, it was it was well executed. Um, you know, as we as we established really early in the intro, the concept of marketing is to grab attention. Right yeah. now, just to break the the Sky campaign down, who those who those who didn't uh, who didn't have the privilege of being consumed by it or having it consumed in front of them, um, was basically there was this hourglass style TV kind of big wooden box basically um, slap bang in front of the Guildhall. For those who know Salisbury, you'll know that's right in the middle of the city. Um, followed by then a bunch of people. Um, who are sales reps from Sky around it, talking to people. Da, 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 da. The crux of the campaign is basically time is valuable, broadband is slow, hire, get Sky to do your broadband because it will be amazingly fast and, and etc. was the crux. But they also reinforced this, this main point on the market square with those billboard-style truck-like uh, things that drive around that have billboards on the back. Uh, they also had some actual billboards, physical billboards, um, on the main roads into the city from my understanding i walk up and down Walton road every single day Walton road had one i imagine devices road probably had one i imagine there was a couple on the other side as well um there was also facebook ads youtube ads and etc ads online that were around the same formula in the respect to around the same theme talking about time having the minions as a uh kind of vocal point um especially if you're kids you'll think they're really cool it was an interesting IP conversation um, as well because I don't actually remember whether Sky owns the IP to, to, to them or not. If not, that was very expensive to buy to use. But the crux was basically they were What's... using a bunch of different... 
What's the IP? So intellectual property over who owns the rights to use the uh, Despicable Me characters, right? Yeah. Because if you're going to use them in a commercial benefit, you have to either have completely written consent from the copyright holder and or, in most cases, pay for a level of time to use them. Yeah. In most cases, or simply buy the rights to them. Now, because of the way sensitivity companies work, I believe that Sky actually, by proxy, owns them already. Right. So it, it wasn't really a big deal for them mm. to use them because of other licensing agreements they have in place. Um, however, the the crux was then also, you know, they also hired people to have massive physical billboards that went up beyond the back, you know, the kind of a wear it on your back and it has a big billboard behind you. Yeah. So they combined all of these things. So digital, big, 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 really obvious thing you can see in the market square, things driving around and things that you would see on the outskirts of the city as well, because they're really trying to push, hey, we've got this new broadband service and it's really, really, really amazing and really wonderful. And what I, and what I said was, you know, it ran for a week, right? So this was very targeted for a week. Probably cost quite a bit of money as well. Oh, yeah, definitely. But the, but the, the, the crux of, of what uh, the point I'm making here is these are all touch points, right? So if you were in Salisbury and around Salisbury in that week, you definitely knew that Sky was here. There was not a chance you did not know and understand that Sky's here. And what they've done recently, actually, and it's actually really timely that we've had this podcast when we did, is because the last couple of weeks, they've kind of brought back the bicycles with billboards on the back. They've brought some salespeople back etc they're actually getting to the point where they're starting to bring some of those touch points back because they had a big push at the start of the campaign and now they're adding what's known as trickle pushes on the back end which is just to capture anyone else who's like sort of floating around that maybe didn't necessarily get sold mm. on the product and is like hey remember we've still got this really cool offer or we've re- i didn't i didn't stay in chat to a salesperson so i didn't know what offer they were selling but i imagine it was combined with an offer um in that respect as well and i think it's a very interesting execution of a marketing campaign right now obviously there's a there's a level of morals that go alongside that right like should you put a massive ad in the central city from an advert from the advertiser's point of view yes absolutely should we as a community allow that to be i'll let the audience decide that right there's a moral gray area there right from a simple money-making point of view from city council or sky or etc then yeah absolutely that's where you should go why do you, just out of curiosity, why do you think there's a moral issue there? Because I think some people, some people get very upset when they get advertised to, right? But they forget sometimes that, you know, why do people use ad block, right? Because they hmm. find ads irritating, right? They find, uh, and, they, and they want to get advertised, or they're getting advertised to products or services which are not going to be valuable to them. So they find them irritating, right? But, the thing is, like, advertising or marketing and a concept is an eco- is part of the ecosystem of life, right? Like, part of the ecosystem of a business, part of the ecosystem of life to an extent. Every single product and service and every single brand loyalty and every single thing you buy, I'll use, you know, I have Lucasade on my desk, I'll use them as an example. Why do you? Why do I buy Lucasade? Because at some point I've consumed enough Lucasade advertising and tasted, tasted and liked the product enough to be the point where... I'm like, yeah, okay, when I want this specific flavor or this specific thing, I'm going to buy Lucasade, right? Now, there gets to a point where you get advertised to enough where you have to try that product or service, right? It's a try factor, right? And the thing is that in t- unless you're marketed to, you're never going to try the thing, which means you're never going to get repeat clients or repeat customers from that as a, from a business point of view, right? So if I never try Lucasade, 
I never try Coke. I never try Fanta. I never try any of these things. I'm never going to know whether I like it or don't. So then I'm never going to buy it because you, I have to be pushed a little bit to try it. And that's why tasters are, are always uh, yeah. valuable, right? Because that's why they have tasters from cheese, wine. Free, free trials. Etc. Yeah. It is to get you hooked on, you know, and that actually segues quite nicely onto something else I need to discuss, which was Netflix's uh, con- concerns uh, at the moment. Well, because, of course, a lot of their business was, was here's a trial of what we offer. Um, and, and, and now you're you're potentially locked well, into a, a I don't. Thing. Yeah, I don't know if it was a coincidence or not, but I found it quite interesting that Sky did a massive campaign with lots of special offers at the same time Netflix was putting its prices up. And you're just like, oh, okay. That I mean, possibly coincidence, um, but it helps. But how, you know, yeah, definitely not a coincidence. Definitely not. And but one of the things that's interesting because the Netflix originally Netflix started out by being a postal service for DVDs. I'm not, I'm not sure if they did VHS tapes. They might have, but they, they, they were they were basically the main competitor for what used to be known as Blockbuster. Yeah. Um, and they kind of upscaled it to we'll make it even more convenient because we're going to post it to you on a subscription basis. You just pay a subscription every month. That allows you to have X amount of films and we'll post them to you and we'll trust you to post them back. Mm. And it was massively successful. And then... I mean, what they... Sorry to cut you off, but what they did was really, really valuable, which I don't, I don't want to be away from right now, is that no, but it's a, it's, had this massive overhead... Of all these shops, yeah. Why did Netflix? Why was able? Why was Netflix or what then was Love Film able to do it so well? Because they just bought a warehouse and ran it out of there, which, as we said earlier, becomes more cost-effective to do when you have the scale. When yeah. your distribution platform or your shop window is online, you don't need an actual shop window because you don't have to pay all those rates. You don't have to pay city centre rates. Blah 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 blah. blah. No, and, and and it worked. It worked massively for them, and it enabled them to then become a streaming service. And it's it's kind of I think it was they they became Netflix were the solution to the problem in terms of you know the problem with blockbusters was it had to pay overheads on shops. The problem for customers was. I, I had to go to Blockbusters to get what I wanted. And Netflix somehow figured out that people that for people that was an inconvenience, right? And or love film at the time. And they then started this thing, you just subscribe to their service, and it was good in a sense because you could order films you wanted to watch for the weekend. Yeah. And they'd if you ordered them on Monday, they'd be there by Thursday or Friday and you had everything you wanted for the weekend. And you never had to leave the house. And then when streaming became a big thing they obviously moved completely online and be- literally became the originators of binge content we will put mm-hmm. an an entire i mean they changed the television market the whole landscape because everyone else relies on this we'll show you one episode a week for the next 12 weeks netflix was like fuck that we'll show you the whole lot you can sit there all day you can get up in the morning and never leave the house and just sit there in your pajamas. You don't have to get have a shower. You have to brush your teeth. You don't have to do anything. And you can watch an entire series or season in one weekend. 
and some sorry I, I don't want a, mm. but I just had a f- realization about that they turn that concept of getting up not even getting dressed just sitting there in a onesie some people not even bothering to flipping brush you know, do you know what I mean? do anything right to watch an entire season of something and then post it online that you're proud you've just done it and that's genius yeah. that is genius there was a there's a couple of things I want I'm going to make you brag about being a slob basically yeah I mean there was a couple of like there's a couple of things that changed I mean during that time there was technical issues about why streaming couldn't really exist right there were simple internet limitations that would not allow you to do that but as technology got better and as we were able to stream higher and higher speeds which meant we could stream higher and higher quality right because faster your internet speed is the, the more likely that you can actually stream higher quality per second yeah. right, without having the death of buffer right I, I i don't remember the last time a video had to buffer to be honest with you i don't um i remember it from my childhood though the where it was horrible and you know i think it's a very important point that netflix was part of the the, the culture shift from what was what would be technically known as watch time so how long is someone watching this piece of content into actually session time which is I'm going to watch this piece of content, then I'm going to clip through to another piece of content, then I'm going to go through another piece of content, then I'm going to go through another piece of content. And, you know, we've seen this on YouTube, we've seen this on social. The social platforms and YouTube specifically care more about session time than they care about watch time. Yeah. They are kind of factors to an extent, right? If you want one video to go viral, you need to have high levels of watch time and high level of clip through rate. Okay, fine. But what ended up happening is there was a culture shift. Right, which is what you were talking about there, where it became really cool to binge watch shows, right? But the problem with that Netflix has now run into is that relies on you having good quality content. Yeah. That that entire business model, for, well, to an extent, first it relies on everyone who's watching it to actually pay a subscription fee, which eh, about thirty percent, maybe forty percent, don't because they borrow exes, brothers, sisters mother's father's households netflix's account which kind of to an extent netflix kind of set up for themselves by saying we're going to give you the access to say here's colton's account here's david's account but they there was a account etc there was a thing about this and i forgot this but originally netflix actually promoted you can because that's actually why i had an account with five accounts on it because a Netflix, Netflix actually Netflix, Netflix actually promoted the concept that I could share that information to other people, which mm. I know when you look at it now, like well that's crazy. But no, actually the reason I've just scrapped my Netflix is because not only have they upped their price, they're now going after the fact that I shared that password. I sh- you know because Netflix had this. Mm actually promoted the idea that you only needed one account holder and as long as you had paid for x amount of accounts like i did they didn't care what household was watching them so that meant that i could i i had an account my sister had access to that account under her avatar and friends you know a couple of friends had it as well and netflix are now like well we're up in our prices and we're taking that away it was just like well then there's no advantage i don't need to have netflix so there's two there's two there's two prongs that really put Netflix in trouble. Number one was the content point of view. For a long time they had the best content by far. 
yeah. they had the best content period, right? In the early days, and even in a couple of even a couple of years ago, they had the best content, better than, like they were better than TV, right? TV quality, but just more convenient and better in regards to storytelling, in regards to etc. etc. Et right? And they did the short-term promotion trick, which they which you just talked about, which was hey, you pay one price and you get this concept of your XYZ can use it. The problem that happened was they ran out of the world quite quickly because of how quickly they grew their revenue got capped because they didn't actually have anyone new that didn't already have access indirectly or directly to a Netflix for sure but so their revenue got capped yes but here's the thing and and it depends which way you want to look at this there was another problem which we'll get into as well they didn't own most of their content so the, the, the original owners of that content have now sold it to other online streamers so that was one problem <clears throat> the second problem that um, they had is that when it does, doesn't matter what product you've got, there's always going to be a market cap on how many people want it. Mm. Okay. And so Netflix may, you could argue Netflix hit that cap, mm. but once you hit that cap, what you're after then is the highest percentage of retainers that you can manage, i.e. we'd if we've got two-thirds of the market share, how do we keep retention on that two-thirds? Mm-hmm. And what Netflix did was made it easy for me to say, I don't want to be retained by you. Yeah. And that's where I think, and I've seen lots of businesses do this, you grow and grow and grow and grow, and you realise... They, they got complacent. Well, I, I don't always think it's just complacency. I think they missed the point, is you can only grow, doesn't matter what you sell or what your market is, you can only mm-hmm. grow so far before you run out of customers. At that point, at that point that you're running out of customers, you then have to work on retention. Look, I, I used to subscribe to a sports channel called Zone, right? D-A-Z-N. Right? And one of the things about the Zone that I subscribed to it for was originally because it does a lot of boxing through Matchrooms, Eddie Hearn, and stuff like that. And that was great. But very quickly, the original promise for seven ninety nine was there'll be no pay-per-views on this platform. Right, that's perfect for me then, because I don't, I don't mind pay, paying for pay-per-views. But if I'm going to have to pay for pay-per-views, then I don't want to have to subscribe to you to watch boxing. So... Mm. Everybody subscribed, and now straight away, well not straight away, it's taken about a year. Oh, yeah, we're going to be... I don't think they've done a pay-per-view show yet, but they're saying, look, the big shows are going to have to be pay-per-view. At the same time, and this is this definitely is a coincidence, um, Netflix have put their prices up. And so it's like, mm. I combine the two together. All oh, right, you're cheaper than a Sky, Sky Sports subscription. Uh, you're more expensive than a Sky Sports subscription, where... I can save money by switching to Sky, cutting you two out. And if I want to watch the big fights, it doesn't matter what platform they're on, they're pay-per-view anyway. Mm. So I switched to Sky Sports. I now get all the football. I still get some boxing for free. And I'm still in the same boat of having to pay for the pay-per-view fights. But I now have a cheaper package. 
I think it opens up the second point, which I was going to make was, you know, when Netflix started, they were the only person in the market doing what they were doing. Yeah. And then the Disney's and etc. started playing in. Disney, went, hold Apple, on a second. Is it Disney, Apple, Amazon? They all, they all, they all did it. So mm. you know, I use Disney as the example because Disney. The difference between Netflix and Disney is Disney owns so much intellectual property; it's not even funny, right? So they were like, "Yeah, actually, we're going to do all of these like child-known cartoons, mm. Disney Plus." We're going to do all of these like Marvel and DC and all these like really fan favorited films that you've wanted to consume and you've arguably been pirating for years. We're going to put this on Disney Plus. We're going to throw it all into one package. And they also bought. Yeah, the... we might. The, the thing that they did that was pretty genius is they bought the Star Wars franchise and then made TV series series. Yeah out of all of the Star Wars characters. Although I think that's kind of fallen a bit flat because they, they kind of lost their way. I know a lot of yeah. people, myself included, that started watching some of it and then was just like, that, that's not what the character was. The, yeah, I mean, the, the, the problem is they're doing the classic of we're going to milk this now for money concept, right? Yeah. It's We've got some fan following. Instead of leaving it at where it should have been, you know, arguably... I've found many TV shows, many, many films that have been like, you should have just left this at one film, guys. Yeah. Like, like just saying, you should have just left it. I get why you didn't. I understand why you didn't, because it's literally a license to print money. But you should have left it at one film. From a storytelling and integral point of view, for the character's sake, you should have left it at some or, and some film. Or and one film. you shouldn't try to change the concept. Mm. So, i.e., if, if your main character is a killing machine... Don't try and make him a killing machine with a conscience. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. If, and, if, you know, if do... your character has a conscience, don't try to make him a cold heart killer. It's. Yeah. Just, to, just, I mean, just to finish the point I was making, I mean, you know, uh, Netflix specifically, when it started, it was dominant because it did something new and it pivoted and changed. It did something exciting and new. But then the arguable bigger players caught on. And said, okay, so the, as I say, I use Disney as an example because it owns the most intellectual property. But you could use this example in Amazon's case, you could use this example in Hulu's case, you could use this example in HBO's case, etc. And the thing is that always becomes a deciding factor on why Netflix are in trouble is because they're not getting the best content anymore. I they have... don't have the buying power to get to the be best content anymore. Therefore, people are going to go somewhere else because there's choice now. So there's two ways to get over the, 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 when there's more choice in the market. Either you pivot and do something different, or you just do what you did better than everyone else. Problem with I, Netflix is it didn't pivot, and it isn't doing it better than everyone else. I still think there's a third thing that Netflix missed, right? And that is they they had the highest subscription base of anybody, mm -hmm. right? And the key to that is retention. Now, what yeah. Netflix could have doubled down on is... Because they were making profit. They were making shed loads of profit. Shed loads. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. All these other companies are investing billions trying to take, take Netflix on. And mm -hmm. Netflix was in the perfect position to ride out a storm. And the one thing they should have done is turn around. They should have started focusing on, because they were always going to have an issue with content. And that the, the thing about trying to get around the issue of content is that's going to take time. But what you don't want to happen while that takes time, because Netflix was making some great films, <coughs> some really good cinema style films, and they, and while that was going on, 
they they weren't hemorrhaging subscriptions. People were staying. But they mm. then were like, right, we're now going to up our prices and we're going to cut your access. What they should have done and said, hey, stay with Netflix. Don't forget, you can share your accounts with people. You've got, you, you subscribe for five accounts like I did. You can share them to different people. Mm. And we're going to keep our prices frozen. They're still going to make the same money. And what's going to happen is people like me are not going to unsubscribe because you're making it because anywhere I go, it's more, more expensive. Mm -hmm. And if it's more expensive, why am I going to do it? But Amazon did the, uh, sorry, Netflix made it more expensive and took away the convenience for me. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you know, I I use a, I use this another parallel in, in a different genre you know, uh, those who know my background know I was he- I'm hev- well, was heavily, probably not as much anymore, into World of Warcraft. The same thing happened in World of Warcraft. There was a massive rise in popularity. It became one of the most dominant games in 2008, it, from the rise up to from from the beginning of the game up to Wrath. And then they decided to change the fundamentals. And what first it basically felt like pulling out the fundamentals of what they were doing. And then, funnily enough, all of the subscriber base just went. <laughs> straight down because they changed things and they tried to tweak things and they tried to things that were good for the community, but they didn't listen to the community. Now yeah. this is a bit of a difference and the, I, I, I need to articulate this a little bit better because listening to the community is not the same as just taking every piece of feedback on board, right? Because no. the problem is that the whilst having right now is one half of the community is saying, yeah, we like it this way. Yeah. We like it this way. Yeah. We want this. But the other half is saying, well, no, actually we want it the way it was. Right, because they're relaunching to give your audience context. They're relaunching the fir- the the golden era, as most WoW gamers would t- would say, the golden era content. Right, so you know the original game followed by the first expansion, second expansion, and then going to be soon into uh, the third expansion. And there's now a conversation about that third expansion and whether there's going to be changes or not. Right, when they re-release it. The problem is, fifty percent of the community or or sixty percent of the community want there to be no changes. 40% to 50%, again, we don't know, around that number, do want there to be changes. So no yeah. matter what you do, you're going to alienate 50% of your audience. Indeed. Sense, you lose 50% of your audience. And the, and the same is true with Netflix, the same is true. And the reason why I use that as a parallel is because they're both entertainment genres. And we can sure. use parallels and we can look at seeing what the differences and changes is. But the crux of it is very simple. And hopefully your audience has understood this, is that, in a business, you have to pivot and change because, especially now, because the market and, and what's expected of you and what's normal, like, you know, I'll use just a content uh, creation example here. Three, four years ago, the concept of having a podcast was like, I don't know about that, right? Now it's kind of a, bite, a rite of passage, right? If you yeah. are doing, if you own a video production company or a marketing agency, probably should have a podcast at minimum. I would argue video is probably going to become the next new podcast thing soon if it hasn't already. But the thing is that podcasting as a concept three, four years ago wasn't as dominant as it is now until it got popularized by people like Joe Rogan. Right. The, the concept is very simple. Things change. I've just, every week, every month. I'm just going to say something then because I just want to add something to that is that Mm. the podcast was definitely popularized by joe rogan and what joe rogan did that other people didn't do because one that specifically stands out is tim ferris but 
a lot of podcasts were very business or very focused in one category. So you went to that because mm. it was fitness, or you went to it because it was business. Um, whereas with Joe Rogan, what he's done that no one else has done as well is he's captured a massive audience, and his and it's a very general um, podcast with Joe Rogan. You can tune into a Joe Rogan podcast and genuinely not know what you're going to get. Whereas I think of some of the fitness influencers, if you tuned into their podcast week in week out, you knew exactly what you're going to hear. With Tim Ferriss, again everything. When he, when I used to listen to his podcast, the guests are amazing. They're absolutely interesting, but you know what you're going to hear. You know, whereas with Joe, someone like Joe Rogan, who's done that, I don't think anyone else is even close to how well he's done that. Is you don't know what you're going to hear with Joe Rogan, and mm. but one of the things I want to go back to with the Netflix is because, like I was saying, is you made a good point earlier that people will just go online on dodgy sites and rip off content. But when I was sharing my subscriptions with people, I didn't have to, nobody had to do that. Why would I rip off Netflix content when I've got the best quality? Because I'm still paying. So what Netflix, have, and this is where I think they've got it massively wrong, right? I was already paying the subscription fee for those accounts, right? But Netflix have now said, well, you can't have those five accounts unless they're from the same household. Right. Well, how many people need five accounts in the same household? Very few. But while they were shared amongst other friends and like family, I'm still mm. paying the same amount of money. None of those people, now that I have scrapped the Netflix subscription, have subscribed to Netflix. So off the top of my head, they've lost four householders. Mm. And I was paying for that, happy to pay for it, because it sorted out everyone's problems, right? Everyone had access to Netflix. And two of those people were friends. But it's just like, look, I've, mm. I've, got, I've got these spare avatars on the account. You can have them, right? Mm. It's come up with running out of time again. <laughs> well, the crux, I mean, just to end on there, I mean, a lot so, of what we're talking so, about So is... So what I'm saying is, sorry, yeah, just to get the point. That, you know, like the you, we talk about pivots, unique selling points they had it their mm. unique selling point that they could have rode the storm out on because they had the highest subscription rate and everyone was trying to catch them up is hey guess what guys if one person pays for five we don't care who's watching mm. Mm. you would the thing about retaining anybody is you've got to make it as difficult as possible for them to leave but yeah. do it pleasantly not by mm. long-term contracts and like just like I would look at every other subscription streaming service out there. None of them was doing anything better than Netflix, but Netflix mm. gave me the most options and it was the cheapest. It became, it upped its prices and cut back on how many people could have the passwords. Right. Yeah. I mean, what, what's what, happening there really from a really simple point of view it's really simple psychology. Human beings as a concept. Why do we use Amazon? Why do we use click and collect? Why do we use all these things? Because they're really convenient, right? It's part of least resistance. Human beings as a concept will always do part of least resistance. Why does people, and I know we won't get into this today, but why do people not push outside their comfort zone? Why do people not start business? Why do people not do anything that, that would give them a higher purpose? 
if it was not the path of least resistance because it's hard, right? It's the same with same with Netflix, right? Me canceling my subscription requires effort, right? So you have to really make sure that I want to cancel my subscription for me to cancel my subscription because I have to give you effort and time and energy to actually cancel my subscription. It's a lot easier just to let it roll over and continue to happen, which is a lot of what yeah. you're talking about here. So you, it shows a lot that, to an extent, Netflix really did upset you as a consumer because they lost you as a client after you going through all of that. This is actually a really big pain in my ass to actually leave the you guys. Well, I, I but worked, you're still going to go through it. I went to the trouble of working out how much the price increase was so I didn't just cancel Netflix. I cancelled the Zone as well. So I cancelled two subscriptions, and went with a rival to both of them. Yeah. All right. Don't get me wrong. I already had a Sky subscription, so I'm not. They're not competing with Netflix on that level. But do you know what? I'll just watch more sport than you know flipping junk TV. I'll just watch more live sport because mm. the new subscription to Sky for Sky Sports was cheaper than the price increase for um, Netflix and The Zone. I actually saved money every month. But I actually had to take time out to go and see, right, what's the best deal? Because provisionally, or originally, I was just going to cancel everything. Mm. And then I was just like, oh, hang on a second. If I just change to this, I get a bit of both worlds, and I save money. Okay, I'll cancel everything and just do this. And that that's you know something that they miss massively, and, and I like I said I do mm. think it's very short sighted because you were in the middle of a storm, but you actually had the best boats, and they were anchored down perfectly because while while you have subscribers, and look everyone knows Amazon, um, Amazon Netflix have just released their results a couple of weeks ago, and for the first time not only did they stop getting new subscribers. They lost subscribers. Mm. And it's like, right, so nobody is loyal to you. And the reason for that is you changed the reason they signed up. And people, I've seen businesses do this so many times. You change the reason people come to you. And there's always going to be a cap on how much business is out there. So you either have to add a new business to, to attract something new. But you can't mm. do can't do is like uh, i learned this lesson very well when i was in the car trade all right a good six somewhere between 60 to 80 percent of our customers well, didn't matter which manufacturer i worked for they were loyal to that brand mm. and it was for one of two reasons it was either that brand was their favor in the price range or they could afford the price range they wanted mm. and, and what i mean by that is I worked for Volkswagen, Audi, and I worked for BMW, and I worked for Volvo. Now, Volvo customers were loyal because they there was something about particularly about Volvos they liked. The same with BMW customers, the same with Audi customers, the same with Volkswagen customers. <clears throat> there could be potentially more competition between Renault, Vauxhall, Ford, and Citroen because they were a, a much um, easier entry level market. Okay, but within that especially with Ford, you have some very loyal customers to their sports brands and to their, you know, their car concepts. But 
80% of Audi customers were loyal to Audi. 80% of BMW customers were loyal to BMW. So pretty much it didn't matter what they did. Same with Volkswagen customers. Pretty much a large majority of your customers are loyal to, to, to what you're doing. That's not, not going to change. What is going to change is how you treat them. And when you do that, they will start looking elsewhere. I mean, it's a simple principle of don't pull out your foundations. That's everything of what we're discussing here, right? Yeah. Like, what is the core reason why someone comes to you as a customer, right? Is it because you take the extra time? Is it because you are very compassionate with what you do? Is it because you're, it won't be because you're the quote unquote best, because that's very subjective, right? It will be those extra sprinklings of things or those extra bits that you add in. Okay, so never and build a culture within your industry because you as a person, it's very hard to scale. Right? But if you're going to scale, you need to make sure people understand the culture and the vibe and the, the understandings and the care that goes into that. For us specifically as a company, we have that level of care. We have that level of belief. We have that level of understanding. And that's probably a great place to end the podcast. Thank you. <laughs>